If no one sheds light on what is being done in the darkness, it will never stop. One in three girls and one in six boys are sexually abused and told to hush. Breaking the silence is the first step to healing. Healing is a lifelong journey. Find your voice. Your story matters. Pain put me into hiding. Purpose called me out. May the silence be broken. Thanks for listening to the One Voice Podcast. It's a safe place for conversation on relevant topics with real life stories to encourage and inspire you along life's journey of healing from sexual abuse. I'm Mary O'Brien and now Nicole Braddock Bromley. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the One Voice Podcast with me, Nicole Braddock Bromley and Mary O'Brien. We're really excited just to be with you for our final 2020 podcast. Can't wait to get into the next year of podcasts with you. (laughs) Hopefully they'll start to look a little different. But um, today's podcast is with a very dear friend of mine. And in fact, she's the incoming senior pastor for my church, Vineyard Columbus in Columbus, Ohio. Her name is Julia Pickerel, and she's just one of the wisest women I've ever met and also a very good friend. Um, And just really excited to have you with us, Julia. Thank you. It is so good to be with both of you, Mary and Nicole. Thank you for having me. (laughs) Absolutely. So this is our final 2020 podcast, and Mm -hmm. I just think it's so fitting to have gone through such a crazy year and a lot of hurt, a lot of grief, um, a lot of confusion, disappointment, um, you know, relationships are different for people, just Mm -hmm. understanding of the world. But I think a lot of times when we're going through that, we really dig in to what really matters in our lives too. And I think for me, especially, you know, my faith has been a, a real holding point for me and to be able to look at Christmas coming up, you know, tomorrow's Christmas Eve. Um, and that's something that my family celebrates. Um, but at the same time, just looking at the life of Jesus and knowing that he was okay and acknowledging that things aren't always beautiful and things aren't always like the celebratory, you know, the Christmas mode that people get into. Like a lot of times it's difficult. And in the past, I think it was hard for many people, especially Christians to make space for people who might've been grieving or feeling sadness or feeling anxiety or loss or things like that. But, you know, our church has always celebrated what they call a blue Christmas service, which is commonly called the longest night service. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I really love that. I've been to every single one since I started going to our church, um, 13 years ago. And, um, I think I just loved it so much because, it brings forth the truth that Christmas and holidays and traditions and family gatherings can be difficult for people who are grieving for people who um, have had toxic family relationships. You know, it's just, it's, it's different and it gives space for people to acknowledge that. And I just love that, especially as a survivor of sexual abuse. And so I wondered if you could kind of just unpack a little bit, with us. I want to talk a lot about lament and um, joy and different things like that, but just to talk a little bit about what that has meant to you as someone who also cares um, mm. just a- about that kind of a service. Yeah. Well, I appreciate the opportunity to speak to that. It's funny, even as you ask the question, we lay these words so close to one another, right? Words of lament next to words of joy. And I, I think most of the time we think of them as two entirely different things, Mm. but most, most of us experience them pretty, pretty close to one another on a regular basis. And um, Mm. so much of our lives. And for me as a Christian, so much of my life of faith and so much of Um, the life of Christ who I follow was really spent in places of darkness. And so, you know, there's something on the one hand that can seem a little bit trite about saying things like, you know, the light can only exist in dark spaces. Um, Hmm. But there is something true that for people who have suffered, 
I think um, there can be a very clear recognition that there is a profound truth to that as well, that it's really in the midst of some of our darkest places and darkest times that we've also been able to experience glimmers of hope mm -hmm. and, um, and a sense of there being more and there being bigger. Mm. And so in this season, even as we are just today here from, from Christmas, I think it's, it's quite appropriate for all of us, for folks who have survived different kinds of violence and abuse. There's plenty of folks for whom um, missing family for the holiday is not a bad thing at all. It's yeah. actually a bit of a refuge. Right, right. Um, a good excuse, you might say. Precisely. And, <laughs> and I, I think holding that reality is is something very holy that that we can sit in this space and recognize that we are people who lament, mm -hmm. but at the same time, that doesn't define us, that we're also creatures who are made for joy. And that somehow in the midst of all of this, mm -hmm. um, uh, we're sort of called to lift our eyes up and to acknowledge the one and yet still seek for the other. That's a really good word. I read recently um, a quote by a Ugandan Catholic priest and theologian. His name's Emmanuel Kantongale. Mm -hmm. He said, hope and lament are twin sisters walking hand in hand. Mm. And I thought how beautiful that is and how true. And especially in this year of so much you know, disappointment, but at the same time faith, you know, mm -hmm. and I know you've talked a little bit about that, even in a recent message that you um, preached for our church, just how faith and disappointment can go together. <laughs> Precisely. Well, I mean, I think in some ways faith is defined by disappointment because, mm -hmm. you know, for at least in the biblical sense, faith would be hope for what we do not see. And usually when we don't see what we hope for, we're, we're rightly disappointed. And mm -hmm. so I think, you know, and as winsome as it can be, you know, even in hearing, hearing you speak these words, I think it's so important also to acknowledge how frustrating it is. Yeah. And, you know, like, it's just, it's annoying, isn't it? It, mm -hmm. it feels just so cosmically wrong that these two things have to exist and we do so much wrestling with them and, and um, trying to sort out all the whys behind it. But, but again, I think sometimes, you know, at the, at the end of the day, one of the things that I often say to people is life is hard. Mm. And we can either do hard in healthy ways or we can do hard in unhealthy ways. Mm. And, you know, for me, I'm going to try to take the heart that I have and I'm going to try to do something to it that that aids to my health and my wholeness to me becoming the human being that I'm I'm made to become, yeah. um, as it were. And, and so I think that the hope in the midst of lament isn't just like this sort of trite saying like, oh, just buck up and find a find a point to be chipper and what good thing happened to you today. I mean, I do think there's a point where we can really look around and say everything is pretty much, you know, um, bad <laughs> around yeah. me. We, we, we can yeah. say that. And yeah. yet we can acknowledge that in the midst of that, there is, um, there is an existential joy that, that we have capacity for that. We don't have to deny the hardship of our realities mm. to access. Mm. Yeah. It reminds me a lot of like way back in the beginning of my healing journey from sexual abuse of, you know, when I was learning how to journal and mm. I could look at, you know, like a quick glance, a sweeping look at my life and what I'd gone through and feel overwhelmingly dark about it mm. and feel overwhelmingly disappointed and you know, the things that had occurred and even the things I had done in response. And, um, and if I hadn't taken the time to really journal and mm -hmm. to, to write down the glimpses of good that had happened along the way, you know, the little steps that maybe were good steps and solid mm -hmm. steps or the people who came in my life unexpectedly or said a certain word or, you know, a Bible verse that I had happened to see, you know, I would have forgotten them. Right. And when you think about, you know, lament and hope together, you know, maybe on two sides of the same coin, mm -hmm. it's so easy to look at the lament if you're not really practicing um, being mindful in, in the good things and in the hope and in the joy that comes along your way. 
and and then how overcomingly depressive that could be. So it just reminds me of the importance of really paying attention. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it is so true, isn't it? I mean, I, there's an area in my life where someone I love struggles very deeply, very often for reasons that are not their fault. So that's mm-hmm. a bit um, obscure, but I will leave it that way purposefully. But well, one of the survivors things, understand that exactly, very well. We, we like to keep our, keep our stories safe. And, and, um, mm-hmm. and I think it can be so easy, right, to take a look at all the things that have gone wrong. But the other thing that I think is so easy then is to turn that eye on ourselves Um, and begin to sort of shame ourselves, right? It's not just that the world did me wrong, but now I can't do anything right and I'm not grieving the right way or I'm not Mm. overcoming or I'm not somehow being able to um, rise above everything. So we get really judgmental about ourselves. That's so true. The weight that we feel from the world, then we turn inward. And I, I always think a great exercise when we're experiencing lament is to ask ourselves two questions. Mm -hmm. The first question is what is the very worst thing? Mm -hmm. And then the second question is what is the very best thing? Mm -hmm. And then we get to acknowledge that we live our lives in between those two things. Mm -hmm. That's something I like to ask folks often, you know, very often you'll find in conversation if I'm in a counseling appointment with someone as a pastor and I say, how are you? people will always say, I'm well, thank you. And I go, okay, well, that's great. Let me ask you two more questions. (laughs) And then also I'll say, tell me the very worst thing from this week and then tell me the very best thing. And all of a sudden what you get is a human experience. Mm -hmm. And I think we can treat ourselves in that same way in this season um, as we're experiencing some of the realities of our own lives and some of our griefs and our sorrows is giving, giving full voice to that, but not forgetting to ask that second question and not forgetting that our life actually exists in between both, that Mm. it's not all one or all the other. I, I find that to be hopeful. And as I'm engaging with people who are, are suffering and are experiencing a lot of hardship, one of one of the things that I'm often doing is asking myself, what question are they not hearing enough? You know, usually we're pretty one-sided people. So how, how do we help one another uh, shift our eyes a little bit to the places? And sometimes that attention needs to be on the heavy side, but mm-hmm. sometimes it also needs to be turned to the spaces where there's some lightness as well, I think. And how do you determine which question is the one you need to pay more attention to? <laughs> oh, that's that's a great question. I, I think there is a gift of listening. Mm, you know, I, I find, again, I, I think most of us fall into patterns and rhythms of being and of thinking. Mm-hmm. You know, that's just a bit, at least for me, that's my easy way. And so very often, once we get to know someone and we listen to them well enough, we begin to detect their patterns of being and of thinking. And so for instance, you may know someone who's always saying that everything is the worst. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, you may know someone who's always denying how hard things are and saying, everything is fine. Everything is, I'm fine. Everything is fine. Yeah. I have a picture of each side <laughs> in my mind right now of who you're talking about. Yes. And I, so one of the things that I like to do when I'm listening to people is to ask permission. And so I'll say, you know, I've noticed that you're saying everything is fine, but you're sitting curled up in a chair in the fetal position and you're not looking me in the eye mm-hmm. and your jaw is really set. And I'm, I'm just wondering, would I have permission to ask you what you're feeling while you're telling me everything is fine? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and people will be like, oh man, <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, called um, me out. <laughs> but, but I think very often what, it, what we're doing is giving giving each other permission to be fully human Mm. Mm -hmm. and to feel seen. I mean that there's so much power in having someone really see you and really ask those questions Mm -hmm. like that Mm -hmm. helps people to remove their masks, you know, and how much power there is in being able to remove your mask in a safe relationship with 
you know, safe conversation. And just by you asking permission, wow, how much power and control it gives back to someone who felt like maybe they never had that. Yeah, I think that's really important, Nicole, that we we recognize that our conversations with people, even our lament with people, even being in physical space with people, that very often people who haven't had agency, mm-hmm. so people who 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 weren't able to say yes or no when it was their right to, and that right mm-hmm. was taken away from them, mm-hmm. that one of the ways that we can love one another well is by recalling that. Mm-hmm. And so are you all right? If I notice something about how your body language is right now, Hmm. would it be okay if I asked you a bit of a tricky question? Mm -hmm. And very often they'll say, and if you're not up for it, that's a, okay, Mm -hmm. (laughs) we can move on to other things. That's fine. (laughs) Yeah. That's really good. But I think it also helps people maybe not be so afraid Mm -hmm. when people feel like I have permission to say what is true. Um, and I have permission to be a full human. I have position, I have permission to be both, you know, in lament and experience joy that someone is going to see me as a whole human being and not mm. just a part of a human being. Then all of a sudden, maybe to some degree, I feel a little bit more at ease speaking what is true. Wow. That would be my hope at least. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think just having the permission to be sad or, mm-hmm. you know, to acknowledge that things are broken, you know, survivors mm-hmm. understand when something's broken and we don't, or, you know, we don't have answers for everything. Yes. I mean, healing's a lifelong journey. So there's no eventual pretty bow to put on at the end. There's no just final I'm healed. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I just, I don't believe that. I don't believe that happens till Jesus comes and takes us, you know, but Until then, we've got this road to walk that has both the hope and the lament, the joy, the sorrow, Mm -hmm. you know, the, the, the grief, the anger, it's all along the way, but it's still a beautiful journey, but having people in our lives that allow us to feel things, that's so powerful. It's been powerful in my life. And I, I think very often for me as a person of faith. I find great solace in a faith that leaves a lot of space for the unknown and the questions, and yet that still offers some invitation to answer. And, mm. you know, your language of journey is is really helpful. I, I often think that we're all on this search for some sort of completion, like some people might even say on a healing journey. And I always think, what's at the end of it? Yeah. Like what? Yeah. I think we're just going to be self. I think, you know, I think, I don't think there is, you know, my daughter and I used to cycle down the street in Amsterdam and we would cycle on this one street and there would be light poles on one side and trees on the other. And we would look at the light poles. She was three or four. And I would say, look at that light pole. Do you see how skinny and tall it is? Do you see how perfect it is? Do you see how exactly in continuity it is? You know, and Mm. she would say yes. And I would say that's because it's not, it's not natural. It's man-made. Only man-made things can be perfect. There's nothing natural about that. (laughs) And then we would switch to the other side and we'd look at these trees and look at these old knobby trees. Do you see how they're all like wonky and branches, you know, cut off and somebody hit it with a car. And so there's a dent, you know, how old trees are like that, like half dead and half (laughs) lightning bolted and all that. And I would say that is beautiful because (laughs) that's something that's natural. (laughs) And I wanted her to think about herself, her body, her identity in those same ways that, so in some ways, when we only think about the destination, I feel like, well, we all don't want to be light poles, do we? We all don't want to be this Mm. sort of false sense of some sort of completed object. You Mm. know, we're creaturely, we're human, we're lumpy and bumpy and hurt and wounded and beautiful and wonderful And I think that sometimes um, the way that we frame our expectations for our own journeys um, can help us find comfort in in the midst of them, that it's not all about like trying to achieve some great destination of being a healed person, but, um, you know, being what a, what a Christian writer used to call a a wounded healer. Mm -hmm. That's beautiful. And so true. I, I really feel what you're saying there. And picture it too. It's cool. Um, you know, it, 
brings me back to what, you know, our faith and just the vineyard movement talks a lot about that we live in between the now and the not yet, the here Mm -hmm. and the not yet, that we're in a both and world. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this idea of of the now and the not yet or the both and, it really is a spiritual language, a Christian language for the idea of paradox, or like you said, um, two sides to the same coin. You know, Mm -hmm. for me as as a follower of the, the teachings of Christ, I you know, have a clear sense that Christ has come and is still coming. Mm. Goodness is here and is not fully here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that healing is among us and not all the way among us. And, you know, when I first came to this teaching, I found two things about it to be very true. First, I was incredibly annoyed with it. <sighs> and second, I found it to absolutely perfectly describe my lived reality. <laughs> so wow. the annoying part was, well, I mean, come on, like if there is a God, shouldn't everything be buttoned up and make sense in my life be fine? That would just be super fantastic. And well, some of my family members talk that way. I know, but and <laughs> I think a lot of people think that way. And then yeah. there's this like awkward moment where you actually read some of our holy texts and you go, oh my gosh, this stuff is just like full of tragedy. This is really, really <laughs> yeah. I mean, not to be dark, but it is, it's full of, it's full of life yeah. and tragedy. And so I found it so refreshing that I felt like this is just speaking truth. This language of Christ said the kingdom of heaven is among us and yet it's not fully here. And so that's such a stretching place for me personally, a place of faith is deeply stretching. And I, I like that stretch for me. That's a healing space. There's something redemptive about taking something broken in my own self or my own story. And it sort of, I'm, I'm sort of motivated by like the screw you attitude of like, you think you can do that to me? Well, screw you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like fight back a little bit. Am I allowed to say that? <laughs> Absolutely. Um, but, but I think that there's something about this, like living in the now and the not yet that we can see things that are not yet. Mm-hmm. And yet we, and, but we don't have to be bound by, by the fact that they're not here. We can live toward them, live into them, be inspired by them. And I think listening to one another's stories and, you know, your own story, as you shared it, Nicole helps so many people do that, that we look at our own pain and we, and we sort of have a screw moment of like, no, wait a minute. I want to live into what is not yet here for me fully because mm-hmm. I've been inspired by somebody else's um, grace to do that in their own life. Yeah. Yeah. And just being genuine to what is going on within us, mm-hmm. you know, like paying attention to, mm-hmm. you know, if I am watching someone else's journey, how is that inspiring me or if I'm seeing injustice, how's that getting me fired up? And like, I can be so many things at one time and still in the process of my own healing. And it's okay to be all of this like messiness because the journey is beautiful, you know, and, and God can meet us no matter where we're at on it Mm -hmm. and can understand it. And I think that's one thing that I really just love about, you know, the scriptures and about the life of Jesus and what I've learned, just um, being part of the vineyard movement and embracing this both and life um, is that I can just come as I am. (laughs) I don't have to pretty myself up. I don't have to fake it till I make it. Um, I know you even said recently that we can mourn with one eye open. Mm -hmm. That really hit me too. Like you can be feeling a lot of things right now in this season and this crazy year we're in with probably messed up relationships you've got Mm -hmm. going on, um, all the triggers for sexual abuse survivors that come along with the pandemic. Mm -hmm. Um, We can be feeling all that, but at the same time, have an eye open, Mm -hmm. be a voice, Um, step into somebody else's life, pay attention um, to what's going on around us um, and still hope. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, that we, we talk a lot um, in faith communities about faith, hope, and love. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and so one of the things that um, all of us, regardless of the pain that we carry, 
or the sorrow that we experience or the brokenness or the things that trigger us, all the things that make us itchy and uncomfortable that, that we begin to develop habits that help us look forward in faith, hope, and love. And there's something quite unique about that in the world today. I, I often think we can, we really do have a choice about the people who we are. Now, there's some things that we can't choose. We can't choose our experience of mental health or mental illness. We can't choose our families or our pasts or our experiences. But we do have a degree of agency in how we take those things and begin to rebuild them as we become the people I would say the people that, that God has called us to be, that there's this lovely scripture that, that says to each one of us that you are beautifully and wonderfully made. And there's just something really profound about beginning to enter into that as an identity. And this is even, I'm sure many of your listeners are not people of faith. Um, but one thing I think is quite interesting is that even if you don't have a personal belief in God or, or, you know, my faith is Christianity, if you don't have a faith like that, that you can still take tenets of faith that are very winsome and sow them into your life. You know, so what does it look like to begin to consider yourself as something that is beautifully and wonderfully made and that is, that is known and well-known um, it begins to ingratiate us, not just as individuals operating in the world in isolated ways, but <laughs> together with one another as creatures in this um, cosmos, whether you believe we're spiritually bonded or um, bonded by quantum physics, you know, uh, one way or another, one way or another, we are all connected. <laughs> and, and this sense of um, being beautifully and wonderfully made. I, I do think speaks to living with a lean of faith and hope and love, even when we do have to acknowledge um, that there is so much mending that needs to happen and so much um, pain and sadness that is true as well. It's been a rough year for all of us. A lot has risen to the surface in 2020. If you're a survivor of sexual abuse, the isolation, unknowns, and exhaustion may be enough to have you searching for a safe place to belong, a place where questions are welcome and your story is safe. Maybe you've experienced some healing, but you long to be unleashed. I am Nicole Braddock Bromley. I'm an author, an activist, and a sexual abuse survivor. And I am so excited to tell you about something I've been working on. It's an eight-session e-course and virtual support group where you'll meet virtually with survivors just like you who are in various places on the lifelong journey of healing from sexual abuse. And I'm super pumped to let you know that I will be co-leading all of the live groups that are starting in February. So stay tuned to our website, and our social media to grab your seat when the registration page launches right after we ring in the new year. This road is long, but we don't have to walk alone. Join us as we make 2021 a year to become unleashed, where you can experience belonging and free your wild soul. Keep your eyes out for the launch of Unleash at the beginning of 2021 at IamOneVoice.org. You know, as we're talking just about all of these things, which is like got my wheels going and I'm mm -hmm. feeling all kinds of things and I'm loving this. Um, I think it's so important, especially as survivors of abuse, to mm -hmm. think about daily practices to help ground us in these times of uncertainty and confusion mm -hmm. and anxiety. Um and so I'm wondering, you know, is there a daily practice that you, Julia, personally enter into to either ground you or, or connect you to the divine in a way that kind of just carries you through each day, especially right now? Yes. Yes. That's a great, it's a great question. I, um, yeah, one of the things that the, one of the ways that I describe when I, when I'm dealing personally with my own anxious, anxiousness, um, mm -hmm or pain is that I, I would say I start to lose my edges. Hmm. I start to sort of feel like um, prickly, like, you know, it's like my skin isn't there anymore. And my, my nervous system is just all so full of sensation. And um, I really don't like that feeling very much. It, mm -hmm. 
I don't like feeling like I'm another way I say it is I'm getting a little bit outside of my skin. I need to slow down. <laughs> and so, yeah. um, you know, someone that I love is on the autism spectrum. Mm-hmm. And so uh, we've also done so much work with this person in my life who has very much the same kind of experiences. And so as a part of that, I, um, became attuned to the existence of weighted blankets. <laughs> mm. And I will get to a point here, but a weighted blanket is exactly what it sounds like. It's just a cozy blanket that's got a little bit of pressure to it. Mm-hmm. And um, so for me, the first thing that I, I began to do when I was looking for a spiritual practice is I tried to describe what is it that doesn't feel good and it, that's what it was. I don't, I feel like I have no edges. I feel like I'm getting outside of my skin. And so then I, I asked myself, what would make that feel better? And the answer to that for me was really a sort of spiritual cocoon. (laughs) Mm. Uh, I don't usually talk about this out loud. So maybe it sounds a little silly. Excuse me. I love it. This is great. But, um, but what I, what I'd often do, and I still do this now, Um, If I've had a moment in the day that's been particularly troubling, I just will crawl into my bed and I wrap myself up with my covers and I I lay, I don't usually have the weighted blanket anymore, but I'll just lay really still and really quietly. And I um, begin to just become attentive to my breathing Mm -hmm. and to my body. And I remind myself, I'm in a safe bed, in a safe room, in a safe house, on a safe street. And I'll sort of tell myself the story that answers the question, what's, what's the best right now? So I start to just remind myself of uh, what is well with the world <laughs> as it is. There's a scripture that I go back to um, that talks about the Lord hemming us in behind and before. Yeah. And I love the idea. Um, the picture for me is a very womb-like space of being stitched in or being in a, in a very safe um, place. And so I used to feel really guilty for that, Nicole. I felt lazy. Um, I felt like people would think, oh my goodness, what is this woman doing? She's taking a nap or um, yeah, I just would always feel a bit silly. But I, I came to a space one time with a spiritual director who said, what is it that you feel when you're doing your cocooning, Julia? And I said, I feel at peace and I feel safe. Mm -hmm. And she said to me, what is it that you think God, your good father would want you to feel? And I thought, and I said, I think he'd want me to feel at peace and safe. Mm -hmm. And so I decided to make that space holy. Mm -hmm. Uh, Before that, it had been more just of a calming down sort of mindfulness moment. Sure. But it became really important to me when I felt like I was given sort of spiritual permission to let that space actually be holy. Mm. And I've had conversations with other people who find that kind of space in a warm bath. Um, Mm. I've had people who find that space while they're spinning, like on the Peloton. Mm -hmm. Um, People who have found that space when they're sort of curled up in a corner in their room quietly. That sometimes those spaces are in and of themselves holy, the places where we find peace and grace and safety. Um, Mm -hmm. and so for me, that's what it is. I cocoon on my bed. I lay quietly. I, I become mindful of my body, begin to get myself back in my own skin. I breathe deeply every so often I'll doze off. Mm -hmm. And, um, it's a, I have a great sense of, um, the graciousness of, for me, what feels like the graciousness of God to me in that, um, it's a space of becoming recentered, not just in my own skin, but of being recentered in the bigger picture of all it really is for me that I am beautifully and wonderfully made. I've been uh, created and I'm known and wanted. And so for me, that's a really centering experience. Yeah. Wow. That That is just the perfect picture of, you know, everything we're longing for. I mean, so many of us have been taught to, you know, not experience our feelings, not express our needs, Mm -hmm. you know, so for all of that, you're able to experience your feelings. You're able to even maybe verbalize them. um, And you're ridding yourself of the shame of your need to 
do these exercises. I mean, that mm-hmm. in and of itself is huge freedom. I think, and I think for your, your listeners that, you know, one thing that can be very meaningful is whatever space that you find to sort of take, you know, even if it's in lament where you're becoming mindful to you know, not be afraid to become mindful of your body mm-hmm. and to articulate, you know, I feel a certain way because a certain way. So I might say to myself, you know, I feel really sick in my stomach. I feel really anxious because I've just had an experience where I felt out of control. Mm. And there's something even about saying that out loud that helps our body begin to experience that as, you know, maybe less a fight or flight reality, less an amygdala reality. It draws it into that prefrontal cortex where all of a sudden our rational brain can take hold of it. And then we can begin asking ourselves Um, untangling questions. So, you know, some of our experience is so visceral, it's so embodied that it can be really good to give words to it because I think it really does help our our bodies um, Mm -hmm. um, process in a way that's a little bit different. For me, that's what prayer is. That can be what journaling is, but it can also be just a, a sort of speaking out loud of, I feel this way because of, you know, X, Y, Z, Sure. In, in sort of that quiet, mindful space. Yeah. I think there's a lot to that of just acknowledging the reality, you know, that, and I think God has really invited me to get real in a lot of ways so that, you know, he could in turn speak to that. If I'm not acknowledging how I'm feeling or what's going on in me or what I'm thinking. If I'm just continually dissociating, denying, minimizing all these things and just trying to like push forward, like how is he going to meet me in that and love me through it? Mm -hmm. So that's been um, definitely a reality check for me. I think Mm -hmm. it's easy for a lot of, especially my survivor friends to just feel like we're just going through the emotions, you know, mm-hmm. or just, I, a lot of times I forget, I even have a body, you know, I'm just this yep. walking head, like, <laughs> you know, like to actually stop and take a moment to assess what's mm-hmm. going on and then why, mm-hmm. and then verbalize it out loud. I mean, these are all, they feel like talking about it seems like so silly, but that is actually a real, like if you picture that you're stopping like on this, whatever you picture your healing path looking like, like mine is a whole painting, right? But if I picture myself on that path and stopping and really like assessing all of these things and then speaking, like that feels like a real mile marker for me (laughs) rather than to just keep running, you know, aimlessly. Every one of those mile markers is so significant. I mean, being able to sit in a room and unclench your jaw mm. when you're feeling tense. Like why you know, are our jaws always clenched? Right? But, but then to recognize like, you know, the fact that I might be self-aware enough to recognize my body is like mm. totally uh, tight right now that I am a safe space and I can relax that even that um, iteration of healing is powerful and beautiful. I think it's like yeah. we've got to, we've got to enjoy the small wins that we have. <laughs> we put too much pressure on ourselves to have like majestic moments of he- miraculous healing. Yeah. And I think in reality, it's like, oh, like we're all doing the best we can. Mm-hmm. Cheers to that. Cheers mm-hmm. to that. Mm-hmm. No, I agree. I agree wholeheartedly with that. And to celebrate, you know, every little thing, it does add up along the way. Mm-hmm rather than waiting for this big thing to happen. And, you know, the big thing might be a a big combination of all the little things. So I wonder what your thoughts are, um, you know, in acknowledging how grief has really come to play this year, especially, Mm -hmm. and how I think seasons of grief for survivors all of the looks so different. I mean, for everybody, but definitely survivors grieving the loss of maybe somebody that you thought would have believed you and didn't or grieving um, someone who, 
you know, betrayed you. You thought you could have trusted them and you didn't or grieving someone you really hoped could come along your side um, in your healing journey and be a safe, you know, listener and they victim shamed you. So there's a lot of grief and a a lot of different levels. Mm -hmm. Um, But then I think the grief of this year of 2020 has really compounded that. I don't know if you had any thoughts on how to approach grief in that way, if, if there's any contemplative exercises, you would even, um, maybe, you know, recommend to just Mm -hmm. going through seasons of grief, seasons of mourning. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I totally agree with you. I think we, you know, we often get blindsided by our own grief or by um, yeah. memories of things that we thought we'd contended with. Yeah, absolutely. Like said, in seasons, it's like, well, I felt like I was okay to, to smell the cold winter air, but man, the cold winter air made me think of something really terrifying. And why, and then <sighs> yeah. we you know, get into this cycle of why can't I get over it? Why can't I get over it? And instead of, you know, um, you know, one of the, the, practices for me that's really important when it comes to really any uncomfortable feeling. But I think particularly right now um, is, you know, from, again, from a a contemplative Christian point of view, it would be what I would refer to as a welcoming prayer can be used by anyone regardless of spirituality, because really, really what we're doing is acknowledging the presence of God with us regardless of how we're feeling in any given moment. Hmm. So what does it mean that I might be sitting in a space utterly emotionally destroyed? I mean, I read an article uh, a while ago, an op-ed piece in um, a national newspaper, and it was about survivors. And it, it was just so devastating to read it all in one long column on top of article after article about what's happening with the pandemic on top of all these personal things I'm aware of. And I just felt for a moment stripped naked, but what I felt at the bottom of it wasn't grief or horror or anything. I just felt like this vacuum and that or vacuumous feeling. It's just Mm. like, I felt like I just hit the bottom um, and didn't, didn't know what to do. And, and so even into that space, I've begun a practice of becoming really still. I close my eyes. I'm, sort of well-known for, for acknowledging, I think a great gift in the world is the, the gift of the deep breath. You know, yeah. we, we really do relax the jaw muscle. That's a really important muscle. We roll our shoulders, we take a deep breath and we, we say, or I say, um, I am feeling, you know, like emotionally vacant right now. Mm-hmm. And I trust that a good and holy God is near to me and sees me. And I spend a little bit of time being okay in an unokay space. Mm. And I think, you know, for a lot of your listeners um, and for a lot of us, we spend a lot of time trying to crawl out of holes, you know, crawl yeah. out of wells as it, as it were. Yeah. And um, there's, that's good work to be done. I think the other side of that work is to welcome the presence of holiness into those wells, into those deep, dark spaces, Mm -hmm. and not to look for answers, but to um, become attentive to presence. And, you know, again, that might for some seem very trite. Some might say, oh, I, yeah, nice try, Julia, but I don't buy it. You know, where is that presence in the real world? But I would still say that at least in my own life and in the life of many others, um, that there is a holy presence that can be near to us in places of great pain. And so, you know, for a while I would try practices of journaling, but to be honest, I'm a horrible journaler. It feels like homework to me, which is kind of a drag in my job because it's something I'm supposed to be good at. But, <laughs> but what I much prefer is to just sort of uh, sit quietly again and recognize the presence of God near to me. Mm-hmm. And I begin to think through my own you know, the dark night, the dark parts of my soul, the shadow sides, the things that are causing me pain and sadness. Mm -hmm. And I begin to just become conversant with God, not about how to fix them, but about how he sees me as I'm experiencing them. 
Um, and because I believe that the God is real and that his spirit is near to us, um, I also believe that he draws near to me in that space and that I find what Christians would call peace that passes understanding, which means my brain doesn't make sense of the world any better after that than it did before, but my soul is settled. Um, and so that kind of quietness, that welcoming prayer, the welcoming of, of the divine or the holy or the presence of God in the midst of the dark space is something that's very meaningful to me. But it, I will say too, that some of this stuff, it just actually requires that you do it. Mm, <laughs> like yeah. sometimes we have like, oh, theoretically I practice mindfulness. And I'm like, when, you know, like if we don't <laughs> actually practice the contemplative, they sound great and we can be kind of mystical at parties, but <laughs> if you don't actually sit down and set a timer on our phone and, and like force ourselves to be still, we don't actually get the benefit. We don't actually get the get the encounter, I think, that we're looking for. So one of my challenges actually would be that people would actually embed these kinds of practices in their actual real life in the same way that you brush your teeth, mm. um, that, that you would find ways to take space and experience the, the presence of God or the presence of, of the holy in the midst of, of lament and pain. I think that can be a very real practice. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I know when I first began to learn about some of that, it, it was hard to really install it into my life. And it would be the Sunday that I would be sitting under your teaching at church when I would be like, you would make us do it. <laughs> like <laughs> the breathing. And I'm like, oh yeah, like it really does matter. Mm -hmm. Like, could I do it on Monday? Probably not. I don't know how it doesn't fit in, but yeah, it has to be an intentional practice. And yes. when you do it, the benefits really are amazing. And mm -hmm. I'm grateful for how you've continually offered that and, mm -hmm. and helped us to set intentions. And speaking of that, I didn't know if, if we could have an opportunity to have you speak into our 2021, you know, whatever mm -hmm. that intention might be for any of us, whether it be, would you pray for us? Would you lead us through some type of breathing here just to close out this podcast? Um, whatever you feel would be yeah. best going through this Christmas holiday and into the new year. I would love to do that, Nicole. I, mm -hmm. Maybe I'll start with a really fast telling of a very quick story, which yeah. is I went on a silent retreat to the Abbey of Gethsemane. Mm. And um, at the beginning of the retreat, this monk gathers a bunch of us into the room. The monk says to us, this is true. I see you all here with your books and your journals and your pens, and that's all really wonderful. But there's really only one thing that you need if you're going to go on a silent retreat. And we all lean forward like super expectantly, right? Because we're trying to have these moments. And mm. he says, you need to come with patience. And we all go, ah, oh, yes, patience, like the gift of patience. We all just need to be patient. And then he says this. He says, not the kind of patience that you're thinking. You need to come simply as being a patient in the care of Christ. That simply what you are is sort of laid out, broken, in need and wounded. And that you come here into this space to be brought as an object of the affection of God, to be brought into his presence, to receive his healing, his power, his goodness. And everything in the room changed. Because all of a sudden, instead of us being in charge of our own healing space or our own profound contemplative moment, we recognize that we are simply the object of God's affection in that space. So if I could encourage your listeners into one thing, it would be this. It would be to consider what would it look like to enter 2021, not just as a survivor, as a strong person, as someone who is strong and courageous and who has overcome, but to also think about yourself as a patient in the care of a good and loving father. And I know many don't have experience in this world with that. But if there would be something in this universe that would look at you and say that you are beautifully and wonderfully made, I know you full well. What would it look like as you listen, even now, let's call it, to take a deep breath. I'll take one too. 
And to imagine what it would look like to be in a safe place, aware of all the things in you that hurt and that are sad and that grieve, that are angry and fighting mad, but that are yet safe. And what would it, what would it be like to invite the presence of a good and gracious healing father into that space, the divine you might call it, a holy experience you might call it, I would call it God the Father. But could there be a way in this year ahead to recognize that um, you are not alone, that you are deeply loved, And that regardless of where you're at in your healing journey, what part of the road you're on, or even if you're still walking, maybe you've just sort of sat down and given up for a moment, that even in that space, there is a power greater than you that's present, that is for you and with you, and that desires your very best. And that your job isn't to simply wait and be patient but to allow yourself to be a patient in the care of that presence. And if there's any way that could feel like a safe cocoon or a holy space or being hemmed in behind and before, my prayer would be grace over you, that there would be grace for you this year. And may I simply say amen, because that's what I do. Mm. (laughs) Amen, sister. Mm -hmm. Wow. Beautiful words from a beautiful heart. I am so Mm -hmm. grateful for your time and just your willingness to share so much with us today. I know it comes from a place of deep compassion and love and um, just want you to know we love you. Thank you so much, Julia. It's my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for listening. Be sure to subscribe, write a review if you heard something you liked, even invite others to listen so we can be on this healing journey together. You can check us out on Facebook or go to IamOneVoice.org.